This is Product by Design, a podcast by Prodigy, where we explore technology, artificial intelligence, user experience, product management, and the philosophy of building products and companies. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I'm Kyle, and this week we have another awesome guest with us, Bo Button. Uh, Bo, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let me do a brief intro for you, Bo, and then we'll let you tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Bo has been actively involved in software development since he was 11 years old, and uh, he's spent the majority of his career as a serial entrepreneur working in a variety of spaces and now has transitioned into mobile gaming through his company, Atlas Reality. So, Bo, I know there's a lot more to that and I'm excited to dive in. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm a technologist at heart. I've always had a, an insatiable appetite for taking things apart more often than not, not putting them back together, um, <laughs> trying to figure out how things work, uh, you know, even as a, a young child. But around the age of eight is when I kind of got into the, the PC world, um, not full-fledged, like building things and becoming a, an entrepreneur, but like putting together, you know, basically uh, Franken machines. I'd get an old 486 or a 386 and try to figure out what RAM went with one another. Um, back then, we obviously, I say back then as if I'm, I'm only 40 years old. And I remember as a young man having someone say back then, I'm like, oh, back then we had a walk to school. But I'm starting to get to that point where back then really is significant. But, you know, just started tinkering with computers on the hardware side, trying to build them and, you know, putting an operating system on them back I'm saying it again. I'm, I'm officially old, ladies and gentlemen. I just turned 40. But, um, you know, putting Windows, uh, I think it was Windows 3.1. And then eventually over the course of like one, two, three years, I was introduced to something called Quick Basic. Um, it's kind of a, an evolution of Basic. Uh, it, it shipped with Windows and started dabbling with programming. And quite literally, the rest is history. Um, I could not stop after that. So around uh, 11 is when I got... I'd say more interested into like the internet, the web and HTML, CSS, web design, uh, not really a designer per se, but like trying to understand like how to build things. And then here lately, like you said, I'm in the mobile video game space. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to dive into that because I think that there's a lot of fascinating topics that we'll, we'll get into with that. But outside of work and game development, what, what else do you like to do? There's a common thread. Everything I do, it doesn't really, even if it's cutting the grass, Kyle, there's technology. Uh, I just recently acquired a Husqvarna Autobot for mowing the backyard. It's like a Roomba, in essence, for your yard. But um, I do like agriculture. I do grow vegetables. I do like uh, not flowers so much. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said remote control airplanes, hence the reason I have a giant one hanging on the wall behind me. Um, I still enjoy RC. Um, that was another kind of like really important part of my life was remote control, like the Radio Shack days, the golden arrow, the red arrow. And then I've evolved into I've got one fifth scale, you know, gas powered cars that I'm sure a toddler could ride on. But um, everything is tech oriented. It doesn't really matter. Um, I do collect video games. Um, I think a lot of people find it ironic that I don't have the attention span to play video games. But I love collecting old analog hardware, uh, in particular things that have original packaging and boxing. Um, it's more than nostalgia for me. It's like I don't necessarily feel like I want to own a museum, but there's an element of like being a historian and keeping that. And, and, and I know I can keep it safe kind of deal, but yeah, everything's tech oriented, man. Like literally everything I do, there has to be some dovetail into networking. Uh, very few hobbies that I, I'm in don't require something that has an IP address, like literally. Oh, that's awesome. As far as your game collection goes, uh, do you have you know, maybe something that you're particularly proud of, or it's like, this is, you know, one of the coolest things that I've got. This is where a lot of game collect, the collectors are going to take offense to how I collect. I'm not a historian in the sense that I know everything about all of these consoles. I grew up in a house where I didn't have any of them. Uh, my, my neighbor, who was an only child, I would always get his secondhand machine. So I get like the original Nintendo, the Sega. To me, the coolest thing I have is a Neo Geo Pocket. Um, I've always been fascinated with Neo Geos. Um, they're very popular in arcades, like brick and mortar arcades. They have their own consoles, um, their own hardware. But all I remember as a child about Neo Geo, and I think the reason it still continues to stand out in my mind, was their price. 
Um, I didn't know why they were so expensive, but the company SNK, who kind of like built Neo Geo, took a very unusual way to uh, ship their cartridges. The cartridges themselves have the memory for the console in them. So these cartridges are like the size, I don't even know what the, to compare it to, like two, two slices of bread. They're massive monstrosities. Um, but the, the pocket Neo Geo is a handheld that has most of the same games and it's just a really cool little device and has some cool games on it that you would have seen in an arcade. But I'm sure a lot of my fellow collectors would think that my Jaguar or one of these other obscure, like one of the original Pongs from Sears Roebuck company is a more interesting piece of technology. But I, that's, that's what stands out to me is that the Neo Geo pocket. Oh, that's awesome. That, that's, a, that's really, really great. Uh, and I, it, you're, you're bringing back lots of memories because I, I, feel the same. Like we did not grow up with any of the gaming consoles or anything like that. We did have a Commodore 64 with Look, the flop, like actual floppy disks to play games I, in. That is a better, I, I missed that entire generation. Um, my brother-in-law had the Commodore and it pains me to say that he threw it out. I was like, Michael, I would have purchased it from you, but I do have a Commodore. Um, I, I, as a teen or as a child, I never touched them, but I knew what they were. I've seen them. And then I know they had kind of a retro, like a comeback. There was one that was based on the Raspberry Pi, but I was able to find one on Facebook Marketplace. But I would have loved to have a, a, a Commodore 64 back then. Um, I just, I have one now, but I don't use it very often. I have plugged it in. Um, I also I have a relatively large collection of old Apple hardware, and this is a fascination with Steve Woz and that whole story on how Apple originated. Um, I have a, a great l amount of admiration for I mean both Steves, not just Wozniak, but Jobs as well, despite them being two very very different people. But um, the Oregon Trail and some of these old, like you said, on floppy disk. Like I I was a little too too old for for like the the floppy disk. Like I had the three and a half you know inch you know the little they're still floppy disks, but they were relatively, you know, rigid. Um, yep. So I've learned a lot more now as an adult about those technologies than I ever did as a child. But yeah, man, that's, I wish I could go back in time and experience that because it seems like, or it feels when I'm playing with it, I was like, man, this is incredible. This is like before all of this minutia of like the web and all of these complexities. And it just was a lot less complicated. It was, that's for sure. Oh boy. Well, I feel like we could talk about old game consoles and and that and hardware for a long time uh, which is an awesome awesome topic but i do want to dive into the mobile game development and some of the things that you're doing now and maybe you can tell us a little bit more i think i feel like we've got some of the groundwork there but what what was your journey and what brought you into uh, what you're currently doing now oddly enough my fascination of games and consoles and tech and hardware was not what brought me into the, the video game development space. Um, prior to founding Cerberus Interactive, which was our previous company name, same business, we rebranded because nobody could spell it or pronounce it. Uh, now we have Atlas Reality, but we often get called Atlas Realty because we're in the virtual real estate space. So we might end up rebranding again in the next two years. But I was in the government contracting space for a very long time. Uh, helping government entities basically recapture distressed real estate. Doesn't sound sexy at all because it, it wasn't, but it was a very analog, very old school process that uh, my partner, my previous business partner, who now works with me here at Atlas Reality, William, and I had, had built a company to help digitize. But what got me into video game development is my current partner, uh, Sami Khan. Um, Sami is like the proverbial sales guy, marketer, fundraiser, really knowledgeable about how to use acquire users. And he kind of moved to LA, cut his teeth at a company called Acorns. And in his world, he always wanted to own and operate um, an independent game development company. He never really shared that with me, but to my surprise, he reached out and said, look, you know, I'm a marketer. I know how to acquire users. I can get businesses or I can get in front of businesses who want to build games or, or need games built. And I said, well, that's perfect because I'm a contractor. You know, I, I, outside of the government space, I always did moonlighting. I was always helping somebody with something almost like a, a hired gun. If it was a, a mobile app or a web app or a desktop app, I was always doing something, you know, as a consultant. So 
you know, at the time I had an uh, independent uh, software ve- uh, vendor company called Unfriend Studios. I went through this phase post-divorce where I was antisocial and my logo was literally a negative one, like Unfriend. So I had Unfriend Studios and he reached out and said, I want to build a game development company. I said, that's nice. Go find somebody in, you know, India to help you build out that development team. And he ultimately did. And he ended up finding some really big clients and then reaching back out to me saying, hey, I've got the Santa Barbara Zoo. I've got Cisco, the networking giant. I've got X, Y, and Z. And they all want games developed for them. And I'm like, how in the world did you do that? Well, marketing and search engine optimization. Um, He was able to basically create this really bare bones website called iPhoneGameCreator.com. And he was able to capture some leads, some significant leads. And to this day, I'm still kind of shocked that somebody from Cisco went to Google and typed in iPhone game creator instead of like, you know, how to build mobile games or something, whatever. I don't know what went through their head, but I'm very thankful that they did. But that is how we started or how Cerberus Interactive started. When we founded the business, the intent was to be a consultancy and we would build games for other businesses. After about a year of doing that and realizing that just becomes just because games are fun, building games for other people is not fun. Um, so we realized that we needed to figure out what we were going to do as a game development company. And it so happened to be right around the time that Pokemon Go was released by Niantic. And having spent 10 years in the real estate space dealing with GIS and spatial data, I was like, wait a minute, they're taking maps and they're building location-based games. And I was like, we could do that because I have 10 years of experience with spatial data and real estate, you know, so let's, let's figure out what we can do. And uh, that's ultimately how our first game came into existence. Atlas empires. We took the mechanics from Pokemon go and the mechanics from another game that my partner saw me enjoyed called clash of clans uh, with a sprinkle of civilization from the PC era. And we built Atlas empires and then the rest is history. That's how I got into games. It was not under my own will. It wasn't something that was in my path. Um, or in my plan per se, but uh, I'm happy it happened because uh, it's it's working out well. That's really, really interesting because kind of like you said, that wouldn't have been the path that I expected. And so, you know, coming into it from almost this other direction, not necessarily of, you know, I, I love games and I want to build games, but the fact that all of this came together in kind of basically the right timing and, and right place and right people and pulling that all together. Um, so, Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about, uh, you know, Atlas Reality and what are some of the things that you're working on, you know, after building for other companies, you know, moving into uh, Atlas Empire and some of these other things like what is that like? Yeah. So the first game, like I mentioned, Atlas Empires was uh, I, I called it an amalgamation of Pokemon Go and Clash of Clans. You walk around you know, in your physical environment and you collect things and then you come home and you build your, uh, your, your base or your empire. Um, this is, again, uh, time, it, it's flown by. The pandemic has really skewed my perception of time. So, you know, it could have been five years ago, could have been six years ago, but this is right around the time. So we launched Atlas Empires. You know, we, version one was viable, barely. Uh, and we're talking financially, you, you, the money you put into it and the money that you make out of it on a monthly basis, is it enough to flip the, the payroll? Now, we were very scrappy. We only had one or two individuals. We leveraged contractors to get things off the ground. But um, I started to listen very closely to the Web3 movement. Um, I was fascinated with the blockchain. I'm still fascinated with the blockchain, despite what I say on LinkedIn. I talk a lot of BS about cryptocurrencies and pump and dump and you know basically where most of the industry went. But I'm a fanboy when it comes to blockchain. But I, I, I wasn't sure that gaming and Web3 were a good fit together at that moment in time. But I was very heavily inspired by this play to earn movement, which was precipitated by, by the Web3 movement. So that's what basically created or I think inspired Sami and I to create Atlas Earth, which is the game that we are building today. Um, it's launched... I think we're going on two years now, which is, again, mind-blowing because it just feels like it was yesterday. But Atlas Earth is a virtual real estate platform that's in the play-to-earn genre. So uh, if if you're not familiar with play-to-earn, I actually prefer, and I I can't remember who coined the term, play-and-earn. So play-to-earn makes it feel very job-like and mechanical. Play-and-earn is like I'm playing, but passively or, you know, Subsequently, I'm being I'm earning something. What you're earning is different in our world since we're not a Web3 uh, or I like to say we're off chain. So we're just a standard Web2 game. 
a lot of the play to earn games, they'll reward you with a cryptocurrency or a token. And that's where my kind of distaste, I was just like, man, that's, I don't know what the value is going to be. It could be great. It could be like Doge. It could be, you know, a, a couple pennies. It could be a couple dollars, but I just, I didn't want people to have to deal with that. So we, we stuck with USD, a fiat currency, and that's how we got Atlas Earth, where you can cash out money, hard earned money that can go into your checking account. Um, I can get into the details on how the game works, but in essence, you buy real estate and uh, it is location based. It's it, it, it's not a fictitious world. It's based on uh, we use a company called Mapbox that it's very similar to like Google Maps or, you know, fill in the blank. Apple has maps. Everybody and their grandma has maps now. But when you're moving around, just like you would move around in your nav app, you know, you see the, the roads and you see the land and you can buy a square of land. And each square is roughly 30 feet by 30 feet. Um, a single piece of land is five dollars USD. Um, every player who installs the game gets one free piece of land. And the core mechanic here is that piece of land or every piece of land that you acquire generates rent. And we show you the rent accumulation per second. So that's kind of that psychological hook. The more land you own, the faster your rent accumulates. And once it gets to $5, you can actually redeem it. And the redemption process allows you to redeem it for a PayPal payment straight into your checking account, a gift card, a charitable contribution. You fill in the blank. Wherever you want to put that money, you can put that money. Um, you can earn our in-game currency so you can buy more land. Or we do have you know, the classic whales who come in and just spend money to buy the, the land outright. You can watch ads um, to actually earn in-game currency. You can also watch ads to accelerate the rent per second which is what a lot of players do. So that's, again, it's it's these game loops or these hooks. Like, well, why am I coming back into the game every day multiple times? Well, I know if I watch an ad, I can accelerate my rent per second. So we make money off of that. And that, in essence, is what allows us to pay you guys or pay the players the rent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty interesting business model. Um, the reviews, if you look out there, we can't talk very candidly about how it works behind the scenes because it's not an investment. It is a game. Um, there is no FDIC insurance. We're not regulated. We're not money movers. We're not dealing with the SEC. Well, we are dealing with them, but we're doing everything in our power to stay out of their kind of purview. We are a game. There's no guarantees here. Um, I would love for that to change in the future so we could kind of pitch this as an investment. But right now it's not. It's just the game. But yeah, that's that's basically the, those are the two games. Atlas Earth is is the most popular. I'd say it Right now, it probably represents 99.999% of our business. Atlas Empires, unfortunately, today has become kind of a redheaded stepchild that we're slowly but surely trying to reinvigorate with our lessons learned from Atlas Earth. But yeah, that's all we've built uh, under our own name. Uh, we do have another game that is a first-class Web3 citizen called Atlas Mars that we're working on. That's probably a 2025, uh, uh, maybe even a little sooner. I'm saying 25 because I'm terrible with deadlines as all software engineers, and I'm just trying to give myself a little breathing room. It used to be weeks. Now it's years. It's like, when do you think you'll get that done? 2030. All right, well, if I hit it in 2025, I look like a rock star, right? So, But yeah, that's basically what the company's doing, atlasearth.com, atlasreality.com, or atlasempires.com. Uh, we've got this common Atlas brand. And we're trying to, you know, keep with it. Well, that's that's really, really interesting. And I'm kind of interested too in, you know, some of this next phase, because you know, you talk about being very web two based right now and this idea of you know, moving more into web three. I guess tell us how you see that uh, that happening. How, you know, how how will you know some of the what will be some of the differences and some of the similarities and you know, ultimately where do you see this going? in you know, 2025, 2030, and down the road? So for Atlas Earth, uh, we're really not entertaining any Web3 functionality per se. The, the one thing that we are entertaining for Atlas Earth that has any relationship to Web3 is a crypto off-ramp. So you earn rent. That rent right now can be redeemed for gift cards, PayPal. You know, you can get your cash directly into your PayPal account. But we see uh, through conversations on uh, our social media platforms, Discord, et cetera, that a lot of players are playing our game to earn the virtual rent, to redeem it to cash, to then put it into Coinbase to buy a cryptocurrency, which I'm not going to say is a terrible idea because I've dabbled with, you know, investing in specific. Uh, I don't do altcoins. I'm a, a Bitcoin or an ETH or derivatives of ETH. And I think some people have made some really sound, informed 
decisions to invest or not invest, not speculative based on Elon Musk, you know, what he ate for dinner kind of stuff. But the off-ramp is attractive to us because there's basis points. There's there's a margin being made on those transactions that we're losing out on that would also allow us to give back to the player. So obviously, if we make money, the whole spirit of our business is if we're making money, we should allocate some of that money to give back to the player in the form of virtual rent. So that's kind of where I think Web3 is going to, to be with Atlas Earth. Now, Atlas Mars is a Web3 like from the, the ground up. Now, from a player's perspective, and this is where I think most gaming companies have, have gotten it wrong, is you won't even know that it's a Web3 game. You don't need to know that it's a Web3 game. The fact is, though, behind the scenes, all of your assets will be on chain. Some of the game logic and mechanics will be enforced through smart contracts. And if you so choose to sell an asset that you acquired in the game, if you purchased it outright or if you earned it on you know, a secondary market, the blockchain facilitates that. We don't have to build that. It's in your wallet. Do with it what you want. It doesn't matter. So we don't have to build all of those mechanics out for transferring assets. It's just there for us. So what, which chain we use is, is undecided. I am a fan of Polygon for a multitude of reasons. They're probably the most successful and they're growing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, 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 the spirit of this, this new game. It's not so much that we're going to come out of the gate with like blockchain in the name. Like that's, that's where I said, I think most people just failed miserably because they were trying to raise money and, you know, catch eyeballs. Whereas us, it's like, well, why wouldn't I use this? Why wouldn't I leverage a distributed ledger that allows players to, you know, transact and do business without me owning any of that? Now, I, through the smart contracts, obviously, we, we want to be involved in those transactions. We want a small piece of those those deals that are being done. But, yeah, that's basically it. Um, it's, the mechanics are going to be very similar to Atlas Earth. Uh, the, the core game will be a little different. If anything, it's going to be an amalgamation of Atlas Empires and Atlas Earth in a game that just so happens to be on chain because those technologies, in my personal opinion, have matured enough for us to actually leverage them. And not we're not doing it for the wrong reasons. We're doing it because they're mature and they bring a lot of value to us as a technology company and the players ultimately, not just because if you put Web3 in front of your business name, you can raise money. That's really fascinating. And um, we... I agree with you. Uh, I, I was helping a company uh, building out uh, some of their first foray into um, Web3. And we we did end up going with Polygon because for a variety of reasons, like you were talking about. Um, but stepping back from that a little bit, what do you see as the future of gaming and Web3? You know, there's obviously been a lot of strong opinions on both sides of of what this looks like. But when when you look at uh, the gaming space in general, uh, what you know, wh- where do you see that going uh, for for all games and for Web three games and and maybe games that aren't going to go that route? Like, well, what does the future look like? This is a tough one. Uh, I don't hold a, a popular opinion here, but like, I think what games are going to ultimately take away from and and just to take one more step back here is Web three in my mind is and and I'm not sure why people. I understand that the internet has evolved, you know, and they like to, to kind of like compartmentalize or create like kind of like distinct draw lines in the sand. Web one was access to knowledge. Web two was access to people, the social web. Web three is what? Well, it's not cryptocurrencies. Uh, my partner Sami kind of put it as it's, you know, access to equity. Like you, you want to be involved. We're, we're seeing these stories, you know, Zuckerberg is buying islands and we've got Musk doing this and that. Like these are billionaires that are leveraging your data. You your data is the currency. Like if it's free, you, you better believe you're paying some in some way, shape, or form. So I, I think our our perspective on, on on Web three is that having some equity, some skin in the game as a consumer who's using one of these free platforms, or even if it's a game where I'm paying into it, like I should have some control. Right now, we have no control. If I grind in a game and earn an asset, that's an asset, just like it's a digital asset, albeit, but like. Times are changing. Like, you know, this printer behind me or all of these toys, like these are physical assets. I own them. They're in my apartment. These digital assets that I've earned or these things that I'm posting on the Internet, I still should own those. And if they're being monetized, I should see some of that. I should see some type of, you know, monetary, you know, kind of transaction in my favor. So and, and the reason I brought back the Internet and the evolution is. I don't really like Web 3, Web 2, Web. It's just the Internet. This is just the natural evolution of the technology that the Internet's being built on. And 
know, just like when multiplayer functionality in games came out, like we didn't, yeah, you, you advertise it as multiplayer, but nobody was talking about you you're using UDP or TCP. I feel like nobody, nobody cared about that. So where I see the future of games, not all games can benefit from what the Web3 or what the evolution the modern internet brings to the equation, but interoperability is an interesting topic, meaning an asset from game A could technically be used in game B. From a game design perspective, that is a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. And uh, Sami and I have been working on some provisional – actually, we have several provisional patents that are currently pending review um, on how you can take games and engineer them in such a way from like an asset perspective, whether it be weapons or you know special powers or whatever, and, and decompose them in such a way that – Portability does make sense. But if I take a bazooka from game A and bring it into game B and decimate the entire economy, clearly game B is going to lose. Like they're not going to like that a whole lot. So, um, but so interoperability is, I think, what a lot of people initially were, were selling. They were trying to sell it to me. It's like, oh, the blockchain allows interoperability. You know, all of your assets are in some relational database in the cloud and all of the other, they, they, they can't speak. Like I, I spend a lot of time in the enterprise software space. I'm very familiar with system-to-system communication and integration. It is a nightmare, you know, electronic medical records, like all of that. And, but we're seeing it. It's, it's come to fruition. I have a single mobile app, my dentist, my primary care, my endocrinologist, everything's there. It's wonderful. So this is kind of where I think the Web3 is going to go. But um, ultimately, all it's going to allow players to do is to exchange those assets on – maybe it's not OpenSea. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of OpenSea per se. But at the end of the day – if I earn something in a video game through my effort or through just buying it outright, I should be able to basically sell it or you know rent it, whatever the mechanic needs to be. Um, and, and that's what I think is going to happen. So most games today have an inventory system. That inventory system is based on some type of relational database object. It doesn't really matter. It's in a database somewhere, but like it's not engineered to be able to, to – to, to communicate with another system and transact business. That's what the blockchain brings, Those the portability, not necessarily the interoperability, but the portability of those assets. And I think that's kind of what we're going to get in game. I don't know what else Web3 can bring to games. I'm not interested in cryptocurrencies. You know, Our in-game currency is a virtual currency. It's not a token. It doesn't need to be a token. I, 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 I feel strongly uh, that if you're introducing a token and you're doing these like pre-ICO, like, initial coin offerings and you're allocating some tokens for your investors and you, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, and in our world, when we do introduce Atlas Mars, there will be no allocations to us. Um, it's just a virtual currency that will be on chain, but there won't be a reserve special, like specifically allocated for the partners in the company or employees. I just think that's disingenuous. Um, and if the currency does do extremely well, great, but everybody should, should be able to benefit from that, not just the select few. So, yeah, I mean, I know that was all over the place, but like I don't other than that portability of assets and empowering the player to be able to do what they want with their assets that they've earned. I don't know what what else Web3 can bring or the the, the, the future of the Internet. I have to program myself to stop saying Web3. I say it because it's everywhere, but it's like the Internet. But if I just say the Internet, they're like, what do you mean the Internet? It's like, I don't know. Maybe I should just say Web3. I think you've hit on some really, really great points. And it feels like, you know, last year that as we were going through kind of this cycle of, you know, everything Web3 and everything crypto, and it got kind of like you're saying, just over, just overdone in a lot of ways. But when you bring it back to the principles of what are the benefits and it's the ownership of the things and the portability of being able to move from, from, one area to another, but also having a stake in that. And I think you're right that that's what the the evolution is in Web3 and you know whatever the, the terms we want to use, but being able to not just give away all of your data and all of your information in exchange for uh, you know some of the free tools that we're getting, but really owning what should be yours. And, and I think that that's just such a critical part of where I think I would like to see things go and hopefully a lot of people would like to see things go as well. Absolutely. It's the, the ownership of, of those, those assets that you worked. And, and I know a lot of folks, when I say worked, you know, like, oh, you don't work. No, these gamers, they grind, they put a lot of energy and, and look, they're doing it without the expectation of what we're talking about. But like, it would be incredible if they could, liquidate those assets and earn real money, cash, instead of just, you know, 
digital assets and some inventory across 15 different games. Um, most teenagers don't really think about it with through, they look at it through this lens. But as a parent of a teenager, three teenagers, uh, I think it's it is the future. And and we're talking about games, but this is also applicable to social media. If you're posting content on Medium, like. There are a lot of really clever ways that we could leverage cryptocurrencies and the blockchain to empower authors, not just content creators or people who are earning things in games. So that's really what I'm interested in. Um, having spent a lot of time in the real estate world, I, I instantly I was like, man, I remember doing title research on on houses like to determine, you know, successors. And, you know, wouldn't it be cool if all of that was on chain? So you don't have to go to the basement. Like I'm right now, I'm in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I don't know why, but some of the records are kept in a basement. Now, mind you, we're nine feet below sea level, ground level. So when when things flood, uh, I don't have to really paint that picture. But it's just not it's not a good idea. But you know, it would take a lot of energy to get all of those old records codified on chain. I'm not suggesting that, but I think if we start now at some point in time in some of these industries like real estate and leverage this immutable distributed like. That would make a lot of sense. Um, but since I'm in the video game world, that's my take on how uh, the, the, the Web3 is, how Web3 is going to, to help video games. I love it. And I love the application to other areas, being, you know, being able to create content and then not it's not necessarily platform specific. So, you know, if you create a good piece of content and this is you know frequently something that uh, that I'm doing that it isn't just a medium post or it's not just this, you know, thing that you put out there and and then the platform really is the one benefiting because of all of the content you've created. It's yeah, no, you have a stake in that. Absolutely. And this is the same thing with like the app store and Google play. There's really no other way right now to do it. Like before mobile phones, if you were a software engineer and you had a product, obviously we weren't building mobile apps because mobile devices didn't exist. You were building a desktop app, you know, before web applications were kind of commonplace. Like your options for distribution were pretty limited. You know, you know, boxes obviously on the shelf of CompUSA or some other, you know, brick and mortar, but they have literally strangled us and they're taking 30%. Like the app stores are taking 30%. Some of these other platforms aren't so uh, greedy, but like that's not necessary. I, I get it. That's it's, it's, it's an important, if not required part of how we've evolved, but here's where we are now. As a human, I should be able to post on my own personal website and monetize. And I should be just like with the music industry. This is the same story that artists have been talking about distribution and publishing. It's a nightmare, but it's getting better with streaming and more people are self-publishing, et cetera. I think in the next 10 years, that's ultimately going to be how it all works. Not just for like the video game, like people earning things, but like as a content creator, regardless of what I'm creating, I will be the sole, if not maybe not the sole beneficiary, but like the, the primary beneficiary of what I produce. Yeah. I, I think that that really hits it on the nail. I'm, I'm interested too, in your take on how a lot of this applies to what we're calling the metaverse and you know how you see that evolving as well as VR and AR were a really hot topic and, and have now started to come back as Apple has entered into that with, with hardware. Where do you see that tying into both games and a lot of other things that that we're doing in life um, just generally? I think so. I'm a, a proponent of VR. I have I, I've, I started with the DK1, the developer kit. I can't remember who the company was. It was OSVR. Like before a commercial product existed, I had a headset and I enjoyed playing with it. They were bad, but they were incredible nonetheless. But like you couldn't spend hours in there because you would throw up. Um, I have an Oculus Quest Pro now, and that's an incredible piece of technology. I, I do believe that VR and AR is going to play a very important role in our future. Um, Productivity-wise, um, I saw a demo of a game developer who actually designs their levels for their VR game in VR. And I was like, now, if anybody wants to say meta and metaverse, that's meta. So you're in there, you're using these really intuitive, very natural controls to sculpt, you know, the terrain and paint, you know, the textures versus a mouse and a keyboard. And don't get me wrong, there are some people who can do some amazing work with a keyboard and a mouse. But when you're fully immersed, immersed in the world and it's a game level that you're designing for a game, that's incredible. So 
I think productivity, you know, uh, I don't know how it's going to really help business users. I don't imagine I'm going to be using Microsoft Excel in AR or VR. But if, if this work from home thing kind of sticks, which I halfway hope it doesn't stick 100%, I'd like a hybrid work environment. I'm a people's person. I do believe that AR and VR will make collaborating with people on things that are digital very, very uh, performant and intuitive and increase their productivity. Obviously, for entertainment purposes, I've bowled in, in VR. I've, I've gone fishing in VR. I've skydived. It's incredible. But it's for me, it's like I have 30 minutes and after 30 minutes, I need to get out of it. So I do not personally feel like I know they talk about field of visit, field of vision, field of view, think whatever that. So some of them have limited field of view, you know, refresh rates and DPIs on screens. I do not personally feel like there will ever be a point in time where we're just all stuck in VR like Ready Player One. I just I don't I don't. And if it does, if that if I personally see that's the direction, we should all fight just like we're trying to fight a little bit with the uh, AI. We should fight you know, fiercely against letting that happen. That will be the, the end of civilization. Um, so, you know, productivity is one. Entertainment's the other uh, on the AR and, and VR side of things. The metaverse. I kind of I treat the metaverse just like I treat Web3. It's just the natural evolution of in this instance, instead of the back end mechanics on how data is persisted and distributed and, and you know, securities enforced and rules are executed, it's the presentation layer. You know, I do think that the 3D Internet is a cool concept, but I am not going to walk down the aisles of a virtual department store to look at virtual shoes just to have real shoes show up at my house. Nor am I going to look at virtual shoes to buy virtual shoes via an NFT to put on my virtual avatar. There are people who will do that. They're doing it today and they're loving it. That's not the future. I'm convinced that's not the future. Having gone through and played with it, it just it doesn't sound like it's it's going to catch on like mainstream. It's inevitably going to continue to evolve and it's always going to be there. But I think mobile devices, mobile phones and these new flip, you know, these larger form factor devices. Um, I have a Samsung Galaxy S23 that has uh, something called DeX in it, D-E-X, that allows me to plug my phone into a monitor and basically connect a wireless mouse and keyboard and use it as a desktop. Those are the things that I'm most interested in because it's just like I'm used to now. But instead of lugging around a laptop, I just have my phone, all my communication, all my files, all my accounts, everything's there. But um, I just don't see the future being AR, VR. And like the 3D thing is going to be optional. I don't think at some point every website we go to is going to require you to have a stereoscopic headset. Like I just don't. Um, I don't think it's realistic because I don't think they're going to get the price point to a, a place where that's even possible. So mobile devices, I mean, I've seen homeless people with mobile phones, and I know that sounds really scary or crazy to say that out loud, but like they're accessible even if it's a burner phone or a pay-as-you-go. Like Everybody has a mobile phone, so I do believe the future is wholly mobile with the optionality that you can dive into experiences, even on a desktop with a VR headset or an AR headset. And uh, speaking of Apple, I am not an Apple fan. If there's a company, it's a love-hate relationship, as I mentioned. Old Apple, Wozniak, Jobs, the evolution of how that company came into an existence and like the drama, very juicy, very entertaining. But like I can take apart my Apple IIe and see the capacitors and all of the, the resistors and like the, the, the brilliance in the circuitry. What Apple has become has become today, and I'm not saying it's one person's fault, it's not, in my personal opinion, a good thing. Uh, but what they're exceptional at is product. And they're going to sell these $3,500 AR headsets like hotcakes. And it's going to help everybody, not just Apple. It's going to help Oculus. It's going to help. There's another company called Pico that has really affordable VR headsets that I saw at GDC and CES. Like, they're not hurting anybody. But I, I don't know if I'm going to buy one. I definitely want to try it because I'm intrigued. Because Apple, from a company perspective, is the best at hardware and software integration. They control everything. And that's why it's such a walled garden because they control it. And what do you get in exchange for that control? Well, other than some indigestion when they take 30% off of your 99 cent IAP is quality, supreme quality. And that's what people want. They want something that just works. Like I'm an Android user and I'm not going to lie. It gets, this thing goes batshit insane on a daily basis. I just restarted it is what it is. It's complicated. I get it. I appreciate it. I know it's not easy, but like Apple, they do a really good job of just making things work. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I have 
the the version the Samsung version just before yours. So uh, the Galaxy Galaxy Ultra S twenty two, I believe. So I, I've been a long time Android user myself. But you're right when it comes to just pure product ease of use, um, like for for my kids, for example, like it's it's iPads just because they they man. work, they're simple, and Apple Apple does it really I, well. I hate to admit it, but like. I have an Apple TV. I have an iPad because they work really well together. And it's just like if you were to get well, like my mom wanted a phone. I'm not getting her an Android. I'm not going to have to explain to her all of these little like it just you turn it on, Diane. My mom's name is Diane. And it just works. If she wants a watch, she's getting an Apple watch. Now, she does have a PC. And that's I refuse to spend two thousand dollars on a computer. Uh, it's just, I could build one or I could buy something for $400, like an all in one from Lenovo. So I do not buy Apple desktops, but when it comes to mobile devices, it's it recommended for people who are not technically savvy. Absolutely. Apple. <laughs> Absolutely agree. You, you mentioned before another kind of area that I want to dive into because, you know, obviously the hot topic now is AI, which has been behind the scenes. It's, it's been here for a long time, but We've had just as as some of these companies uh, like OpenAI have have really pushed hard into uh, the consumer space and released you know a lot of what they're doing, um, and other companies have followed suit. Like we've just seen this just massive, massive expansion of uses and and abilities to use. What what is your take on that right now? And then how does that impact both? You know, what what you're doing, what you're working on within gaming, as well as more broadly speaking, you know, what do you see some of the, the bigger impacts being? This one's interesting. I don't often get blindsided by technology. I, I, I pride myself in keeping up with uh, innovation uh, when it comes to programming languages, uh, the tools that we use or the clouds and the, the services that we can leverage as engineers, architects or developers to build things. You know, I'm not buying physical servers. I'm not racking them. I'm not, there's no data centers. Like we're, we're behind all of that. So I, I, I've always been, I think, in my inner circle, the person who's kept up the most with all of that, like from a software development perspective, if you need to build X, what should you use? Like, well, you've got these four options. Okay, great. I kind of slept on AI, open AI specifically in chat GPT, because I'd seen some attempts in the past of, you know, conversational AI bots. And I was like, I can break this thing instantly. And I was like, all right, well, this is the future. All right, great. All right, sure. It'll help me out. You know, it'll help customer service out. We don't have to have 10 customer service agents. We'll have three instead. Well, I don't know what piqued my curiosity enough to actually go sign up for ChatGPT and just experience it for myself. It was probably somebody on LinkedIn telling me that, like, everybody's going to lose their job. And I was like, oh, another one of these guys. So I signed up. Um, I am today a premium subscriber because I do use it. And I just started playing with, not in, in the way that I think most people would have thought an engineer would have played with it, which was like, hey, build me a mobile app that makes me the next billionaire. You know, that's people who just convinced that it's going to do everything for them. But I was like, I need help with certain things. I'm a software engineer. I'm not one who can, I have writer's block. Not necessarily in emails, but like if someone says, can you put together, you know, two or three paragraphs to describe X, Y, Z, I could do it verbally without pause. But if you want me to use Microsoft Word or any kind of text editor, I just freeze. So... I went to ChatGPT, and at the time, I needed to write a job description for a, a position we were hiring for. And I, I didn't want to just copy and paste a template like some people do. I, I wanted something with pizzazz and flair. I wanted something to feel like it was written by Bo Button. Um, I use a lot of – not that my job descriptions use a lot of expletives, but I, I, I like to use my my, my, my F-bombs, you know, uh, anyhow, judiciously. I like to, to – to, I, like, I, I told ChatGPT, give me a job description and like a lighthearted kind of like – asshole excuse me. I don't know if you have to beep that, but I was like, be Bo Button. And it, it spit. I mean, and, and I just sat there staring at the screen as this thing was typing. And I was like, is that what in the world is going on here? It wasn't just a conversational bot. It had actually listened to everything I had told it, the details and some of the things that I didn't tell it, but it inferred. Like I told it Atlas Reality was the name of the business. Well, it went out of its way and actually figured a little bit more about what we did based on the website and actually put in there. I was just like – and again, and, and I'm 40. I've literally been in this space for 30 years. That was the first time in my life where I just had to take a step back and said, holy hell, what am I dealing with? So that's 
that's where I, I started with ChatGPT. Now, where I think it's going, I don't think it's going to replace everybody, but it's very clear that there is a pretty significant number of jobs that ChatGPT can replace. And I do think that's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be as quick as some people are saying. I don't think it's going to be like the Uber versus taxi cab. We, we, we're still going to need people. Um, but if you're not useful today, and this is what I think a lot of people don't understand. You know, I have a lot of friends who, and I, I, I say this with the most kindness possible. I don't want to sound condescending. I have a lot of friends who do good. They work. They, they, they're hard workers. But they're not the most useful people. They're not the most resourceful people. They're just status quo. They go to work. They come home. They do their thing. I love them to death. But at the end of the day, they're not going to be on a team building software, building businesses with me because they're just they're not those types of people. But they're convinced that ChatGPT is going to make them a rock star in whatever they're doing now. And they're like, well, I can build a mobile app now. I could just ask ChatGPT. You're full of it. If you're useful today, ChatGPT is a superhuman power. It is going to quadruple your ability to get things done. And if you're useless today, you're going to be useless tomorrow and you're going to it's going to be four times more difficult for you to become useful because now we have access to ChatGPT. So learn a trait, learn something that, you know, I, it, it's a tough one. I don't I don't even know what to tell people to do. Um, it's it sounds kind of dystopian, but I do think from a development perspective, these tools, ChatGPT is the, the most common one. There's uh, GitHub has uh, Autopilot or auto, I can't remember. There's too many damn names out there. But um, as an engineer, when I want to create a new project from scratch, there's a lot of boilerplate work, a lot of boilerplate code. It solves that problem. I can describe very succinctly what it is I'm trying to do, and it will create all of the skeletal projects for me. Um, and it's not like a one and done. It's not like a templating engine where you generate some code, but once you've modified it, it can't continue to like evolve it for you. It knows and it will continue to evolve it for you. So I think it's a superhuman power. I don't think it's going to, you know, be the end of the human race, but by any means, um, I do think there needs to be some governance, some, some regulations. I know, uh, I forget the gentleman's name who's the CEO of OpenAI, but like he's, he's fighting and it's probably not genuine, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, the government, just like with crypto, like they're doing now, like there needs to be some, some regulation behind it, but it's here and it's impressive. And if, if you're an engineer and you're not using it, you really should take a look at it and learn how to use it. But it will not replace every. It will not do everything for you once you understand how to author prompts. It's just an incredible tool. Yeah, I completely agree, and have found that to be the both the way that I am using it and using a lot of these tools, and I experiment with with a ton of them now. But the ability to take things that, for example, were taking me. 12, 15 hours before like really large things. And all of a sudden, like I'm able to get a framework for it, like write up parts of it in a matter of, you know, like minutes. And then I can go through and make the customizations that I know need to happen and then re, you know, reiterate or iterate over that a couple of times. And within like an hour or two, I have literally got something that you know, I need to do that. I know for a fact would have taken me, you know, 10, 15 hours before. So, I mean, it's just like increased my productivity, you know, 10 times because now I don't have to do a lot of this initial work and, and documenting and things like that, that are still part of, you know, what, what we need to do, but it's not, it's not taking me like the amount of time that it is before. And it's just this, step function increase in like what you can do. And like you were saying, you know, it's, it's not going to code, you know, I can't code me an app that, you know, I can put onto the the play store and, you know, start selling, but it can give me the, you know, the first version or, or the first parts of it. And then, you know, I can go back through and, and make changes and edit and then ask for it to, to do something else and keep doing that until you've created something that still takes a human to do, but you've just done it so, so much faster than you could have done it before. Yeah. And what's, what's really interesting, and I haven't really seen this in, in practice yet, but like we use the, the generative AI to create, you know, the, the foundation. And I'm, I'm talking in the context of a software project because that's the most relatable to me. 
You know, we, we ask it for a boilerplate application targeting ASP.NET with C Sharp, with Entity Framework. I'm rattling off technical terms, but this is what I would normally do in the tool that I use to write software. Uh, it's an IDE called VS Code. There's another one called Visual Studio. You're just clicking menus, clicking menus, and it's templating. You know, not overly sophisticated. It asks you a few questions and out comes a boilerplate project that has your web API project, your web application project, maybe your business logic or something like that in a class library. And you just start customizing it from there. Well, those customizations are the essence of me as an engineer. And what I really want to see, and this is where I think they're going to monetize it. I would gladly pay several hundred dollars a month, thousands of dollars a month. If this thing could watch what I do after it's done its initial template or generative stuff and kind of learn and build its own personalized model. So when I'm building software, I've got 30 years of experience. I've gone down a lot of rabbit holes. I know what not to do 95% of the time. There's that 5% where I'm just like, oh, this feels good, but I, I feel like I've been here before. Oh, that was a rabbit hole. But if it could learn and then have that model private to me, I don't want that feeding back into the public GP. I don't. That's both buttons. I want that to be private, independent. I want it to help me as if it was a clone or better yet, you can use auto GPT and I can have 12 bow buttons going out there and doing whatever the hell I need them to do. They're not going to do them all by themselves. But if all I have to do is like, let's say I have five client projects that need to start at the same time. They're relatively simple line of business applications. You've got a mobile app, a web API and a web app. Use chat GPT, generate the boilerplate commit everything to GitHub, and then I just start telling it, hey, this company does this, this, we need these objects in the database, these tables, these relationships. So instead of me going in there and twiddling with SQL and designing database tables, I'm just talking. And this thing's going off and doing what it needs to do in, in my style. So when I look at the code, it's like, well, hell, this is, this is how I would have done it, because guess what? It was me doing it. That's what I'm really excited about, because that's what makes a good developer. It's those 30 years of experience. It's not just because you have access to ChatGPT. It's because you've done this. And I'm not saying it takes 30 years to become a good engineer. You know, you could go to a four-year program in, in college and come out a, a great software engineer. But there are things you will not know how to do or not understand until you've got that required amount of experience. So, yeah, I mean, that's where I think it's going. I haven't seen it. I'm sure there's somebody out there, some startup. I'm sure there's a, there's a bunch of these lists on LinkedIn that get shared daily about new startups that can generate resumes, can generate landing pages. And I'm just waiting for one that's like, build your own personal developer AI based on your own. You know, if I link it to my GitHub account and it looks at all of the commits that I made, it starts to learn my programming style. That would be great. And I will pay for that handsomely. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the ability to train, to give that reinforcement training through, you know, here's what you did uh, chat GPT or, or, or generative AI, whatever it is, here's how I'm going to change it. And then have that continually incorporated into what becomes the, the bow agent or the Kyle agent. And it just becomes so much more customized to, to you and the, your style and what you do so that, you know, over time you've not just augmented your capability, but you have literally almost like you said, cloned yourself uh, to be able to do multiple things over created, you know, your, your own agent that now can do these things the way you would. And absolutely, you know, you, you've just become I'm, like 10 times the person I'm ready. And then if you think about the evolution of that, I just need an implant. I know Elon's working on this. I just want to think these things. I don't need the computer. I don't need screens. I just want to lay down with some lavender in my essential oil diffuser on my comfortable pillow and just think about making commits to a GitHub repository, building an API. And then magically, it automatically gets deployed to Azure, GCP, AWS. And then I send an invoice. Woohoo! We're all, you know, that like, and look, and it's, it's, if you're not an engineer, you don't have that experience. You're not going to be able to get to that point. You need to know what it means to deploy to GCP. You need to know what infrastructure as code, Terraform or resource manager or cloud formation. You need to know what all of those things are in order for you to put it all together. But if I could put it all together and have generative AI or some type of AI assistance uh, with, with auto AI, like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring it on. Um, th this, uh, this has been a really, really great conversation. Um, I I'm interested in if, if somebody were, you know, looking to get into 
this field, you know, we've talked about a variety of things, but whether that's game development or uh, just software engineering in general, what would you suggest to them would be, you know, the the right way to do it or, or some steps to take to either get in or you know, really accelerate their career going forward? This is not going to be popular. Not everybody is cut out to be an NFL star. And this is something I've had to explain to a multitude of people because they all feel like, well, it's just software engineering. It's just the language. I can learn a language. If, if you're technically inclined, maybe you're not a software engineer today, but if you've always had a knack for understanding physics and how things work, like intuitively, not like I'm reading a manual. Now I understand, but like you just can close your eyes and you're looking like a, the internals of a, a manual transmission and you can see gears and ratios. Like if you're that kind of person, then you can become an engineer and you can be a great engineer. I'm not saying that everybody else can't. I'm saying it's, it's more difficult. You can learn on your own time without college, without anything other than a computer. Um, I'm a visual learner. I like to I don't necessarily like the like collegiate style where you've got a professor and he's giving you like, you know, the what do they call those things? It's embarrassing. I can't like they're basically describing the topics. You know, I like video lessons where it's a one on one with the instructor. So I use platforms like Pluralsight and Udemy and there's a handful of other ones out there. But. Um, as a parent of three kids who I am going to make sure that go to college, I did not. I dropped out after a year and a half of college. No one's ever held that above me or it's never really been a problem. But I do wish I would have gotten a degree, but not in computer science. Do not go to college to learn how to write software. Go to college to get a degree in physics, maybe mathematics, biology, just something universal that gets you closer to understanding how the universe works. Because if you understand how the universe works, you will be an exceptional software engineer or an engineer as a whole. But the curriculum in computer science classes, no matter how up to date they say it is, the shit changes every 24 hours. And they're not reprinting books. They're not republishing the curriculum every 24 hours. We're talking every three years. So you're already learning something that is really not going to help a whole lot. Now, there are people who will say, I need to learn about algorithms. I need to learn about this and that. I don't use algorithms on a daily basis, but I am an application. I am not doing anything with like on the AI side. There are a lot of people who do need that. So if that's something of interest in you, then obviously you need to go down that path. But I would say just sign up for a an online video like library or learning LMS learning management platform that allows you to get into a relatively simple language. Um, what does that mean? Uh, Python is probably your best bet. Don't jump into Node. Don't jump in like to JavaScript. Like if, if my person steer clear of JavaScript, like it was an STD. Just don't touch it. it just don't mess with it. Um, I'm a .NET developer, so I'm kind of you know impartial to C Sharp. But it's also there's a lot of tools and a lot of things that you have to talk about. Python's a good way to, to get acclimated into it. But um, yeah, I mean, if if you're technically inclined, there's nothing stopping you other than yourself. If you don't have the time to do it, you do need to dedicate a lot of time. But there's a lot of free material on YouTube that will introduce you gently to programming, you know, constructs. Um, that's, that's, that's really my only advice. You do not need to go to college. And if you do go to college, do not emphasize, do not emphasize or have an emphasis on computer science. Just do math. Do something else. I wish I would have got a degree in physics and then got out with a bachelor's degree and then gone back for something more meaningful after the fact. Uh, I didn't do that. I did computer science and business administration, and it was a waste of my time. Again, not popular opinion. I know there's some parents out there that are just like, oh, this guy does. I hire people. I don't care if you have a degree or not. I don't even ask about it. I just, do you know what you say you know? And because I've been doing it for 30 years, it takes me two seconds to figure out if you know what the hell you're talking about. I will probably echo that unpopular opinion. I agree completely. I think like to the generic degrees and I'm, I'm, I did this too. And it's like a serious regret is learning some of that generic stuff in college is, uh, it's, it's just, it's not the most beneficial because you, you get out and it just becomes just, I don't know. It, it's not useful, but learning the fundamentals of kind of like you said, the fundamentals of the universe, whether that's math or physics or biology, like those give you the framework to see how things work and to move into so many different disciplines and with a real understanding of this is, I mean, math is, is the, it's the language of the universe. Like that's, that's the kind of thing that just, it's not going to change. You, you understand it. You can do so much with it. Yeah. I've, I've used physics and my understanding of the universe more 
to design systems, digital systems, software systems that I've ever used, design patterns and algorithms and all of these different things. Now, mind you, 20 years ago when I was at LSU, the technology I have access to today wasn't, wasn't available. But even then, like I was a web developer in 2000 in a class learning ANSI C on a machine that was running an operating system called Vax VMS. They didn't even know about the internet in the book. And I was just like, what the hell's going on here? But like, yes, I, I the more you know about how Mother Nature does business, the better off you'll be in, in building your own business and building. It doesn't matter if it's software, if it's electrical engineer, it doesn't really matter. I'm a firm believer with more than you understand about how the universe works, physics and math obviously is very important. I don't necessarily feel like you need to go into Diffie Q and calculus if you don't have any des- desire to send things to space. Um, I took those classes. I remember I was in AP class and I've never needed to find the volume of a curve on like, what the hell? What? No, it was cool. Like I, I appreciate it, but just take a, get a, a four year degree in something that's universal. And while you're doing that, you know, take some electives that teach you a bit about programming and, and really web and mobile, you know, the whole, I need to know how to write a sorting algorithm. That's cool. And I'm not saying it's a bad thought exercise. There are days where I look at things and I will play with those things to kind of just keep my brain active, but I don't use them on a daily basis. That's all kind of done for us. I don't want to say you're going to, you will get a little lazy. So it's, it's cool to know, but that's not what's going to make you successful career wise. Well, I agree completely. But this has been, uh, again, an amazing conversation. Is there as we start to wrap up, is there anything that uh, you want to add that either we talked about or maybe didn't get a chance to talk about? No, man, this has been great. Like I said, I could talk about anything. Obviously, I'm opinionated, very heavily opinionated in certain areas, but I've been doing this in literally all day, every day. If you look behind me, very similar setup as to you. I've got the 3D printer. Like I live tech. Um, I pride myself in doing quality work, so I don't necessarily if, if i have an opinion about it it's because i've gone through it and i've learned firsthand but no i don't think there's any topics if anybody is interested in learning more or hearing more about my rants uh just on linkedin bow button that's the easiest or if you're interested in the game obviously atlasearth.com is a great place to to figure out where to go or if you have a phone which obviously most people do just go to the app store and type in atlas earth it's right there awesome and we'll put those links in the show notes as well so people can check out the games and as well as connect with you. Um, so before we wrap up, I usually do kind of two final questions here. Um, if you've interested, if you've read or watched or listened to anything recently that uh, you'd like to recommend, and it doesn't have to be software related, but it certainly can be. Oh man, I don't have the attention span to read long format, like books. I do like audiobooks. Um, I've been using this app on my phone that kind of, uh, I think it's called, give me one sec. I, I, w- I want to make sure I get it right because I would like to give these people, it's called Headway. And it's not necessarily about tech, but they it's like the cliff notes for books. And they give it to you in 10 chapters. Each chapter is like three minutes. Um, I haven't read a, a full-on book in a very long time. I digest like micro content. And I'm one of those people where the, the blog might be, you know, 50 scroll bars, duplicative length. I'll read through it. And if I look at something that strike, like stands out, I'll read just that part. So I don't really read everything in its entirety. Um, so I, I, I don't really have anything. I just, I have a lot of blogs I subscribe to, probably too many. Um, the last probably three months of my life, I've tried to reduce the amount of things that send me notifications. So I'm operating, I'm trying to operate in a pull mode instead of a push mode. I've had so many things pushing content to me that I was just, I was exhausted. So all of your discord notifications, your Slack notifications, but I don't have a, a specific book. Yeah. Sorry. I, I wish I could have given you a better answer to that. Um, but no, I don't have anything that stands out. I just ingest, I do say establish a feedback loop. And if you're interested in tech, like, keep up to date, but you do have to draw a line in the sand. Like there is a fatigue that's established. So just set some time at the end of the day to, to go through your inbox and read those things rather than what I was doing previously, which was like on demand, like, Oh shit. Like I got 5,000 notifications. I was just like, okay, this is not, it's, it's killing me. Absolutely agree. And I found that to be the way that uh, I like to do it too. Somebody was asking, you know, can, can I email you? And, and like, yeah, that's fine, but I will be checking it like once a day. So if it's something urgent, like don't, don't expect me to be looking at email and going through my inbox more than like, you know, once a day. Um, you mentioned Headway as, as an app. Are there any products and, and maybe it's Headway uh, for, for reading, but are there any products that you have been using recently that uh, kind of stand out in your mind? 
products. Mm, headway, and there's an app called Calm. There's a trend here. So, you know, starting a business, working in a high stress environment, launching a product, dealing with customers, dealing with investors, coworkers, employees, like it's very stressful. And I always joke that like when I started this, I had a full, beautiful head of hair. And for those who can't see me, I am as bald as a baby bird. Um, I can grow the most magnificent beard, but it won't grow on the top of my head. But I've been trying to figure out how to reduce stress. Um, and I can't not work. I can't do, I can't not do what I need to do. And I've always worked with folks from, from Asia, you know, from Pakistan, from India that in their culture, they, they really pride themselves on being able to like disconnect and meditate. So Calm is one of those apps that I've been using to train myself on how to meditate. Like the minute that my brain says you're going to meditate all I, I just start saying random, like my brain goes crazy. It's like the opposite of meditation and calm has kind of, I wouldn't say I'm there yet. I'm nowhere close, honestly, but yeah, calm is another product headway and calm are the two apps that I have on my home screen. I've removed all of the other apps that have badges and alerts. And like, if I find myself bored, Instead of going to, you know, Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or something like that, I tried to force myself to either go into Calm and learn something about meditation or listen to something that's therapeutic or to go into Headway and to listen or to, to basically read a book in essence. Um, and I will say in the, the three months that I've doing that, it has made a pretty significant impact. That's great. I, I love some of those meditation apps and I've, I've tried Calm as well and, and a couple others and they really, really good the more time, even if it's just a little bit of time that you can take to separate yourself and both disconnect and really take some time just to, to meditate and kind of let things go. I, it, I think it's super, super helpful. So that's great. I didn't Bo, want to believe it, Kyle, but it, it is. Um, Bo, this has been, again, an amazing conversation. I appreciate all of your insights and opinions. I, I think that having a strong opinion is it, it makes the conversation so great and and i love it so uh awesome and we will put all of the links in the show notes but thank you again for for all your insights and and the discussion excellent Kyle. thank you for having me i appreciate you all right and thank you everyone for listening thanks again for listening if you like the show be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app you can follow the show on tiktok at prodigy.co and on Twitter at Prodigy Co. You can also follow me on both of those platforms at Kyle Larry Evans. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter Prodigy at Prodigy.co. You can also follow me on Medium at Kyle Larry Evans or check out my Medium publication Prodigy. Of course, you can check out all these links in the show notes.